My name is Jake McLean, and you're listening to the Life, Leadership, and Laughs podcast. Uh, Hey there, friends. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Life, Leadership, and Laughs podcast. My name is Jake McLean. I am your host. Today on the show, uh, we have uh, Rita Burgett Martell. Uh, Rita, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, this is uh, usually we try to have uh, at least uh, a little bit of fun, uh, but, not too, but, not, but not too much. I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, uh, why don't we just uh, jump right in? Because I want to be mindful of your time uh, and uh, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, my background has been working in the area of organizational change management, working with large Fortune 500 companies to help mm-hmm. them launch global change initiatives that being driven by restructuring or post-merger acquisition, sometimes implementing large technology systems. Also, since my specialty is in the area of change, I've done a lot of work with individuals focusing on career change and life changes that they want to make and really started my career working with individuals and then moved into working with companies when so much change started happening in the marketplace. Sure, sure. Uh, so, um, you know, we'll get to uh, the change part of the, of the story here in just a minute. Uh, but first, uh, so the podcast is called Life, Leadership, and Laughs. Uh, so how would you describe your own uh, leadership philosophy? Uh, my leadership philosophy is really based on trust. And, you know, I've read a lot about how important it is that employees trust their leader or followers trust their leader, but not a whole lot about leaders trusting their followers or managers trusting their employees. And I think we need to look at it from that perspective. And what I think about that is when I hire someone to do a job, I'm hiring them because I believe they have the skills, uh, they have the experience to do the job, they have the ability to learn and progress. And then if I hire them, I micromanage them. I don't give them the responsibility to do the work I've hired them to do. I'm not showing my belief in them and my trust in them. Mm. The the people who worked for me always said that I believed in them more than they believed in themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So I would give them opportunities that would push them out of the comfort zone a little bit, but not totally be out there, you know, making a leap to something they hadn't done before without a little bit of support. But I'm pretty much hands off. If I hire you, I believe in you, and I believe that you can uh, figure out a lot of things. Call me if you need me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, so, uh, Rita, tell me a little bit more about how that, uh, uh, that has come to be your own philosophy. How, how did you get there? I think having a, an experience of... Um, being micromanaged myself mm. and you know, feeling like someone didn't believe I was qualified or I was smart enough or I had the skills. One experience in particular sticks in my mind and that was when I was about 16. I think it was the summer before my senior year in high school and I'd taken a job that was 
back in the olden days when women had to become a nurse, a teacher, a secretary, <laughs> didn't have a lot of career options back then. Sure. So I decided I was going to become a nurse. And so I took a job that summer working as a nurse's aide in a hospital. The director of nursing was this really overpowering, really strong woman who really intimidated me. And whenever I saw her coming, I would hide, <laughs> I would go the other direction. And so one day she walked up next to me um, in the hallway and put her arm around me. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And she said, I want you to look at my shoes. And yeah. I thought immediately, there's something wrong with my shoes. They're not bright white, they're not, they're dirty. There's something of the wrong kind. Yeah. Okay. And so she said, when I get up in the morning, I put my shoes on the same way you do one foot at a time. Oh. The only thing that's different about us is our job title. I'm not any better than you. I'm yeah. really not any smarter than you. Yeah. I just have a different job than yeah. you. Yeah. One day you could be in my position leading this hospital. So there's no reason for you to be nervous around me. You have all the potential in the world. And that was just the most amazing experience. Yeah. And from that moment on, I've never really been intimidated by anyone in a position of power. I've never really looked at people's job titles. I've always thought, okay, we're the same. We've had different experiences. We have different job titles. I'm, I'm not less than, you're not better than, I'm not better than, you're not less than. Right. You know, we are who we are. Yeah. And that's helped me tremendously in dealing with people. Um, at higher levels, I would look at what I can learn from them, but expect right. respect, and also people that I'm helping to grow and advance. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful life lesson. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's incredible. Uh, uh, so uh, off of uh, off of this uh, experience that you've just shared with me, uh, so uh, kind of what uh, started you down this road of uh, of uh, talking about change, writing about change, kind of where did that passion for it come from? It came from my own life experience. I grew up in the South and met my husband when I was in high school. We got married when I was 18. He was 20. <laughs> First daughter at 20, second daughter at 25. Started college at 29. Wow. So I gave up a scholarship when I graduated from high school because in my family, um, a woman didn't have more education than her husband, and you either got married or you worked. So mm. you didn't do both. So when I was 29, I met someone uh, my age who was taking college courses, and I was just amazed. Because I honestly didn't think they'd let you in. I mean, that was back in the day before older students start, started going back to school. And so at 29, I mean, my God, you were ancient. But, and I was just amazed that that was possible. And it just opened up a whole new world of possibilities for me. So I did take a couple of classes and just to see if I could do it and made A's in both. And one was accounting, which is not the easiest class. Right. So I talked to my husband about, I, I'm, I wanna go to college. And he was not supportive. Um, you know, you don't need that. You have me to take care of you and kind of that. Yeah kind of Southern male mentality. So it was a struggle. I had a lot of resistance, but managed to graduate, it took five years and I had to work part-time to pay for it. But anyway, after I graduated, I was so motivated to help every woman in Nashville change her life because mm -hmm. 
every woman in Nashville should. Yeah. So um, I started a, a women's center and a bookstore and held workshops and seminars for women on um, increasing self-confidence, you know, looking at work options when you've been home, taking care of your children, just lots of different topics and brought in experts in Nashville to lead those classes. And it was a wonderful business I had for seven years and really took off and was very successful and kind of started me down a path to working with companies on the topics of leadership and change and communication. So um, just making the changes in my own life open doors of opportunities for me. And I wanted to open those same doors to anyone. And I, I did have some male clients as well, and now work with just as many men as I do women, but wanted to be able to encourage and support people who, you know, basically had a good life, but had the desire to make it even better. Sure. And I think that we feel guilty for wanting more. We've mm. been blessed and we have a good job we have an okay relationship or an okay job and we think okay there's so many people in the world who are worse off than me so i should be happy with that, what i have and not want more and that philosophy just doesn't make any sense to me at all the fact that you have a desire for more i believe means you're capable of achieving more mm. and to achieve more and if you stifle that desire, you're going to make yourself miserable and everybody else around you. So I didn't really, and, and there were programs in Nashville at that time for women, but they were only for women who were battered, abused, or displaced. Nothing for women who were middle-class women and, you know, had a good life, but really felt like there was more that they could do. Sure. It's an interesting experience, and that just led to other things, and um, here I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you were talking about that, uh, you know, the people uh, feeling guilty about wanting more, uh, you know, I think it's also... Um, a way to address complacency, right? Uh, you don't want to get complacent in the things that you're doing, whether it's a job, relationships, whatever. And so every once in a while, you need a change to spice, spice things up a little bit. Right. And to stay relevant because in the marketplace today, if you're not looking at what's next mm -hmm. and focusing on the skills you have that no one may need in another three years. Um, then you have to be looking at new opportunities. You can't just say, okay, I'm just going to rest here for a while. I'm, I'm done. I'm going to mm -hmm. company until I retire. Uh, it's a very risky path to take. It can look like it's a secure path. You show up every day and you do a good job and you think you'll always have one. And believe me, I worked with plenty of clients who believed that and they got the tap on the shoulder saying, Yes, you've done a good job, but we don't need your skills anymore. We're, we're not offering this service to clients anymore, or we're shutting down this market. So you, you really can't be complacent in today's market. It's just, it's too risky. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, as you think about uh, the different uh, transitions uh, from different roles that you've had over the course of your career, uh, how do you... Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the transition from uh, what you were doing before to when you stepped into the coaching role? Mm -hmm. Well, I described the business I started in Nashville 
and a lot of companies in Nashville were beginning to do leadership programs for women because women were moving into the first female vice president, first female manager. Right. So they needed leadership skills and things they didn't have. Whenever a company would call me, because I was really very visible in the city of Nashville because the media couldn't understand what I was doing. <laughs> and it was mostly men in the media then, and they were a little intimidated by this business called a woman's place. Right. So I wanted to learn more about what was going on there. So I got a lot of publicity and it wasn't calculated. It was just, you know, people were curious and I, I sought out, I would write press releases and send them to the newspaper and uh, local talk shows and just started getting a lot of visibility. So anytime any a company would call and say, can you do this? I would say yes. <laughs> and I would have absolutely no idea how to do that. And I would spend hours doing research and putting together what I thought would be a good training program and going in and delivering it and it worked. And, it, and so it was just like, okay, I developed this leadership training program, but part of that was decision-making skills. Part yeah. of that was communication. Um, so I could develop into modules and say, oh, I also do training on communication skills. I also do training on decision-making skills. And it just, one thing led to another. And whenever a new door was opened, I just walked through it. Sure. So <laughs> the next big door after starting college was being offered a consulting contract in California. And that came from a speaking engagement, um, which again came from having the Women's Center in Nashville. People yeah. asked me to come speak at their conference on these topics. And so um, I was invited to um, present to two groups in California. One was in San Diego, one was in Los Angeles. And so they were two weeks apart and I was just gonna stay there and have fun being in California. <laughs> right. <laughs> During my speech in Los Angeles, I made this statement. I said something about my West Coast office. I didn't have a West Coast office. I just had the business in Nashville. I was talking about a goal setting and you know having a, a vision, and, and I just had my West Coast office. And I thought, oh, why did I say that? I don't have a West Coast office, but how nice it would be. <laughs> right. I loved it there, and I felt I felt unlimited on the West Coast, where in the South there were still like women shouldn't be doing this and that. Um, so anyway, at the end of my speech, this woman came up to me and she said, "I'm so glad you have an office here, because we have a project and we've been looking for someone to lead it, and it sounds like your background is perfect for this. And since you're here anyway, why don't you come talk to my manager?" Um, tomorrow, I'll see if I can get an appointment scheduled and just see what can happen. I said, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day I met with her manager and he offered me a three-month consulting contract right on the spot. Oh my gosh. I'd flown to the West Coast, had enough clothes for two weeks. You know, I had a friend I was staying with and um, didn't have an automobile. I mean... <laughs> And they wanted me to start the following week. Oh, boy. And I'm still married. And so I call my husband and I say, this is an opportunity I have. What do you think? And he said, well, um, <laughs> <laughs> he said, I know that, you know, you like it there. And it's only for three months. And I hate to see you turn it down. And 
you know, we, we can work it out. I'll come out in three weeks and, you know, it's okay. And at that point in time, my oldest daughter had just gotten married. My youngest daughter was graduating from high school. And I thought, okay, this is a time when I can actually do something like this. And right. Wow. And so I did. The th- I took the three-month consulting contract and it lasted three years. Wow. Three years. And that was what got me up to San Francisco. And uh, the marriage didn't survive. So the marriage lasted for another year. And it was just too big of a leap for my husband to make. He was very happy with our life in Nashville and didn't really want to stretch beyond that. So, yeah, that was a biggie. And then the whole uh, opportunity to be in San Francisco and just work in the area of career development because the project was opening up a transition center for employees of Bank of America when Bank of America acquired Security Pacific. And I think it was 14,000 people who lost their job. And so B of A set up career transition centers for the people who no longer had a job. And so it really used all of my experience and skills that I had developed in the, the Women's Center in Nashville and use them on a larger scale to manage these different transition centers. And then one thing led to another. And in San Francisco, um, after I'd been there about three years, I got a call from a recruiter at Oracle. And the recruiter said, "Um, we're looking for someone like you to start a a change management practice for Oracle. And I said, (laughs) I don't know anything about technology. And the recruiter said, you don't need to. We'll teach you the technology, but Oracle implementations aren't going well. And it's not the technology, God forbid, we say it's Oracle technology, but it's the the people aren't prepared. Mm-hmm. Just the way they do their job, and it changes the way companies operate and interact with their customers. And we need to establish a change management practice. And we're looking for people who understand change from a people perspective not understanding technology. Uh, So, well, okay, I'm willing to at least have a conversation. So again, they started interviewing me and I had been independent for 12 years at that point. And so when they offered me the job, I said, I don't know that you really want me to be an employee. I don't think I'm employable. I've been independent and, you know, can we do this on a contract basis? And they said, well, no, we need to build this practice and we need to have a team and employees and you need to be part of us. So no, we want you to take this job. And what do you see as a problem with having making the transition from being an employee or being an entrepreneur to being an employee? And I said, well, I'm used to making my own decisions. <laughs> I think as an employee, I wouldn't understand the decisions I shouldn't be making. Right really is somebody else's role to make. And they said, you know, that's, we want someone who's very entrepreneurial. So this is a very entrepreneurial environment. Mm-hmm. We think you're just fine. So again, they made me the offer and I thought, okay, I'll say yes. I'll do it for a year. I think I can be an employee for a year. And at the end of the year, I'll go back on my own. I'll have a new skill set. I can offer a new service and charge more money. That's right. This is an okay thing to do. And I'd already yeah. some commitments for different speaking engagements and they agreed to be flexible with my work and give me time off to go do and fulfill the commitments I made. So 
So anyway, I was at Oracle for three years and it was just really exciting. And I learned a lot about technology that opened the door for me to um, understand the change that a global company goes through when they implement Oracle or SAP or Salesforce or any type of technology. But right. understand it from a people perspective and understand what leaders needed to do to help people feel ready for the change to still feel part of the organization that they would still have a job if they learned to use the technology and learn new processes that were a result of new technology. Mm -hmm. Led to leading um, a very senior position at KPMG Consulting for another three years and then going back out on my own. So been back out on my own since 2001. Been have some wonderful projects, really exciting opportunities, been around the world twice, work with clients all over the world. And it all started in Nashville when I you know, <laughs> started college. So you walk through one door and you really don't know what's on the other side, but then you figure it out and the world doesn't end. And that opens up other doors and you say yes, and that opens up other doors. So it's, it's all about saying yes and just believing that I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. It will be okay. Yeah. Don't do that. You just don't know what you've missed. You just don't know um, people you could have met, opportunities you could have had. You just don't know. So, you know, I say, say yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds from uh, the way you have been describing your experiences, Rita, it sounds like uh, not only have you said yes to things, but it sounds like you were also pretty strategic in what you said yes to. And mm -hmm. uh, all yeah. of those things connected to kind of what you were feeling in, that, in each of those moments. And so I just, uh, how cool. I was very strategic. At the time, I don't think I realized how strategic. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, this is a new experience. And it, it doesn't put me in a box. Mm -hmm. It allows me to use what I've learned so far. And it doesn't put me in a box. Because there were some companies who would want me to come in and use their script. So they would want me to present a training program they had developed. And I was never able to go with their script. <laughs> I could do it a little bit, but then I would launch off on my own and come right. with other examples and other things. And some companies didn't like that, so they didn't bring me back. So I, I learned, and, and this is what a lot of what we learn in our career. We learn what doesn't work for us. Mm -hmm. And so when you learn what doesn't work, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty easy concept, yeah. yeah. Don't do that. So don't say yes to something that's going to put you in a place where you're not going to be able to um, understand the culture or, you know, you're going to be critical of the culture because that makes people not like you. So don't put yourself in environments that don't work for you. Don't do things that aren't um, the kind of things that you want to do. So I had learned a lot about before I'd started college, I had had some part-time jobs and, you know, when you only have a high school education, you get jobs as maybe a receptionist or, you know, secretary or clerical type jobs. And so I had learned a lot about what I did want to do. And I really didn't know when I started college what I was going to college to become. 
I just knew that it would open doors. So when people would ask me, what are you going to college for? What are you gonna become? I would say, I'm not sure. It's not a secretary. I want to be president of something. <laughs> I want to be the boss. I don't want to be the secretary. So I don't know for sure. Um, so I did know a lot of what I didn't want and where I would not be successful. Mm -hmm. and I'd been where people had told me I was uppity or I was going beyond the bounds of my role. So we, you know, we learn a lot. You learn a lot from what doesn't work. And so you don't do that again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I'm working with my clients, the career coaching I do, I always ask them, you know, not only what, what do you enjoy doing? So what kind of skills do you enjoy using? What kind of knowledge do you like sharing with people? What do you like learning more about? But what kind of environment do you like to be in? Do you want to be in an environment where everything's defined and you just go according to the script? Or do you want to be in an environment where you're creating it as you go along? Right. Or have flexibility? Or what kind of people do you want to be interacting with? And if you can answer those questions, then it creates this vision, really, of the world you want to be a part of. And that helps you focus. It really doesn't limit you. It really creates mm -hmm. more opportunities for you. Yeah. I think that is thinking strategically. So yeah, I had learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. Yeah. I didn't put myself in the opportunities to do it. <laughs> yeah. And it also goes to uh, your earlier, uh, your articulation of your leadership philosophy. Uh, mm -hmm. being able to trust, mm -hmm. but it also sounds like uh, you've been living in your, uh, in your truth uh, throughout mm -hmm. each of the experiences that you made. And so, yeah, how cool. Uh, so uh, tell me at what point uh, across the career uh, did you uh, start saying, okay, I got to get this down. Uh, I'm writing a book. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, talk to me about the journey uh, being an author. Yeah, that was interesting because I started, um, I think, four different times. I started writing a book and I would get to a certain point and I just, I wouldn't continue on, whether it was just like it wasn't feeling right or I would get really busy with projects or it would just be, I didn't have the energy to focus on it. And so it was probably 20 years, yeah, probably 20 years into my career when I said, okay, I'm taking six months off and I'm not gonna do a project, I'm just gonna focus on getting this book done. And I think I actually finished it in three. Mm. And when I sat down to write it, and the first book was about, um, I wanted to write a, a manager's guide for managing change. I wanted it to be a book that any manager could take and it would provide them with the roadmap, so to speak and with some tools they could use to launch change in their organization or right in the middle of a change to get it back on track if it had gotten off track. And so that book um, really wasn't anything about me personally. It was about um, what I have learned works in organizations when you're introducing change and leading change. So you can realize the benefits of what you want it to change. Right. So it was, it was very well organized, kind of around a change methodology. 
And, and I had some real life examples I could use in the book because I did okay. that kind of work. Yeah. Change work for about 15 years at that, well, no, 12 years, maybe at that point. Um, so that was an easy book for me to write. And that just kind of flowed. And, and it's good. I probably need to go back and update it. But I'll go back and read certain parts of it and think, oh, wow, that was pretty good. <laughs> And then other parts I'll read and think, oh my God, did you really say it that way? There's so many other ways. I mean, you're never, right. a book can go on forever. Oh yeah. You have to say, this is it. It's done. It's done. Um, and then it was about four years later that I wrote the second book. And again, it was that book I was more passionate about. The first book was really a how-to book for managers and leaders of any organization where change is happening. But the next book was the Defining Moments. And I really wanted to write that book for people who were at kind of a crossroads or people who knew that they were meant to do more but didn't have support and encouragement to do more or people who had been forced out of their comfort zone by a relationship ending, um, a, a job ending, a health issue, something that was beyond their control and they felt like a victim and didn't know what to do next. So that defining moment is really when you have this moment when you realize the future you always thought you would have is no longer there. Either because it's something you no longer want. I mean, I really no longer wanted to be in Nashville. I really felt like I had peaked. Mm -hmm. I, like I needed a bigger world to be in. That was a, a change that I chose. Um, when the divorce happened, I, I can honestly say I created the circumstances where my husband would make that decision because <laughs> mm -hmm. wimpy. Um, so really, he chose that change, and I, I went with it. It was still very painful, but um, it, it's kind of different when you choose a change. You feel like you're out there on your own. Don't always have the support and encouragement you need. When you're forced to change, you often get a lot of support. You poor thing. You know, you poor thing, but you kind of get stuck in that and it's, it's scary. So both can be uncomfortable and I wanted defining moments to be about that. So again, when I sat down to write, it just flowed and I was a little uncomfortable because I wanted to share my own experiences, but I wanted my daughters to be okay with the way I was describing what happened. Sure. And, um, and my new husband, because <laughs> I've been remarried then for a about four years and I wanted him to be okay with the way I talked about meeting him and it being a bit of a challenge for me to become someone's wife because I was very happy being the independent me. Yeah, that's right. Having a very rich social life with a lot of men in my life and to say, okay, I'm going to be a wife again. That was a that was another change for me. That was like, wow, can I really can I really do this? Mm -hmm. So it was a book that had a, a lot of passion and a lot of emotions, a lot of feeling the feelings again. Yeah, and um, I felt good about it when I finished it. And again, you can go back and look at any book and think, oh, I could have said that in a different way, or reading a certain chapter and think, oh my god, that chapter could have been a whole book. Yeah. So Defining Moments really has a whole lot of stuff in it. And any one chapter could, I could develop into a book. And I thought about going back and doing that, expanding on it a little bit. Yeah. So the next book 
is going to be, it's never too late to meet your mate. And it's going to be focused again on change yeah. and relationships later in life. Because so many people are divorcing at the end of a you know, 25 year, 30 year, even a 40 year marriage. The highest number of divorces right now are people in their 50s and early 60s. And there are people out there. You can have a whole new relationship. My husband now is a, a great guy. I've been blessed. I had wonderful husbands, two of them. They're very different. Mm -hmm. My first husband was good for that phase of my life. And this one's good for this phase of my life. Right. All kinds, all kinds of possibilities in your life to have new experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we're just about the end of the uh, of the time I had set aside for us today. Uh, so uh, I want to close with uh, one final question, and uh, I have to ask: uh, What advice might you uh, might you share with uh, organization leaders who are maybe apprehensive to change? Well, it's important to um, answer the question, why? Why are you even thinking about making change? What, uh, project yourself into the future. And um, so we make this change, what will be better? Because we did. Will our operations be smoother? Will we save money? Will we open ourselves up to new markets? You know, what it, the, so you have to answer the question, why? And if you have a good answer to why, then you have to answer the question, how? How will we go about rolling out this change? There's a whole readiness factor. So you can, in your life and in your company, you can make a huge change and think, okay, we'll, we'll adjust, we'll adjust. Or you can say, okay, here's the end result. Here's an answer to the question, why? And I can make these little changes that will get me there. So I don't have to overwhelm everybody with everything all at once. Right. Answering the question of how are we going to do that? And once you answer the question of why, answer the question of how, then you can talk to your employees and other managers about this is what I'm considering. Give me your input because you need to engage people. As long as people feel like they're part of what's happening, instead of this is something being done to them, you're more likely to get their buy-in. And what's really critical is that you create an opportunity for people to share in the vision. Hmm. So you answer the question, why? That should kind of give you an idea of the vision. What does the future look like? And so when employees hear this, they're all gonna be asking, what does the future look like and does it include me? And if people feel like they're part of the future and they will have the support they need in learning new skills, learning new technology, um, learning how to work with different cultures or you know, whatever's going to be different, then you'll always have some resistance, but you'll have less resistance. And as long as you have that critical mass of support, then you have a very high probability of being successful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Rita, I'm so glad we got connected. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to make sure that uh, I include links uh, so that people can look into your books uh, and connecting with you. And so uh, if you want anything to be shared in the show notes, uh, please uh, just uh, send them my way. But Rita, thanks so much for being on the show. 
Oh, thank you. It's, I knew it would be fun. And oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm glad you had fun. And listeners, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Remember that you can follow along with the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with today's guest by visiting the show notes below. Rita is also hosting a webinar on improving self-image and increasing self-confidence. It's just $35 for the one-hour session, and to learn more, you can check out the link below. You can also connect with me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at MC Leadership Guy. Until next time, take care.